Hello team and welcome to episode 386 of the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Kevin Palmieri. Kevin is the CFO, founder and co-host of Next Level University, which is a global top 100 self-improvement podcast with more than 1,350 episodes and 800,000 listens in over 150 countries. Kevin's story is an impressive one and there's an unbelievable amount of takeaways in today's show that will help you level up and become the best version of yourself. In this episode, you can expect to learn what Kevin's take is on whether balance actually exists, what to do when you have enormous goals but instead of motivating you, they intimidate you, along with how you can discover whether you're dealing with misaligned self-belief or misaligned self-worth. So without further ado, Kevin Palmieri. Welcome to the show. How are you today? I am living the dream, Elliot. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat and see where we go. Hey, the pleasure is mine. What an amazing answer. Living the dream. That's probably one of the first times someone has said that, which is quite a surprise, actually, but love that answer. So for anyone who doesn't know much about yourself or maybe hasn't heard your name before, can you give us a bit of context of who Kevin is and what it is that you do? Yeah, so I am the CFO, the founder, and the host of Next Level University. We're a top 100 global podcast with 1,300 and 60 episodes, something like that as of today. And we do an episode every single day. So that really is the the big piece of what I do. I am a podcaster first and I do a lot of coaching and other entrepreneurial ventures. But yeah, that is me in a nutshell. I just want to add value to people who want to be poured into. Absolutely. I love that. And where did it all begin? I'm sure that you weren't born as a podcaster or maybe you were, but I'm sure you adopted <laughs> it a little bit later in life. So I'm curious to hear where did that passion for podcasting come from and where did it all begin? Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, Joe Rogan, I was listening to Joe Rogan as many, many people do. And I remember thinking, well, that would be really cool if I could do something like that. One of my buddies actually reached out to me and he had a YouTube channel. And he said, Kev, I'd love to interview you about fitness, about mindset, about lifestyle. And I was like, all right, I don't know what I'm going to say. And I cannot promise it's going to be valuable at all, but let's do it. So we ended up doing like an hour and a half interview. And when we got to the end, there was another one of my friends there. And I said, imagine if you could do that for a living. And he's like, well, there's people that do. So I did a bunch of research. I figured out what equipment I needed, how to get artwork, how to do audio editing, all that stuff. And from there, I just wanted to have cool conversations with cool people. And it just, I don't know, it's probably similar for you. It was one of the first times where I really felt like I was doing something greater than myself that really, really mattered. And I was having impact. And after that, I was hooked. And that was 2017. So it was a minute ago. I feel exactly the same way. And I had my coaching service and I was a personal trainer beforehand. So I felt like I was making impact. But personal training and coaching, A, I can only reach so many people. And B, only so many people can access that. It's a paid for service. So my objective of the podcast is like, how do I share this far and wide? And not only how do I share this far and wide, how could I hold people's attention for more than two, three minutes, or even two or three seconds, like we have on TikTok and Instagram Reels these days. And podcasting was the perfect example of that. I feel that Instagram and TikTok, you have to grab people's attention. Whereas people have already brought their attention to the conversation when it comes to uh, podcasting. And that's what I absolutely love about it. So yeah, I can definitely share some similarities on that front as well. And I want to roll back the years. What was Kevin like as a kid? Is this something that you thought you would end up doing? Or is it something that has come out of kind of nowhere? (laughs) Yeah, no, it definitely came out of nowhere. I don't think many people had uh, very high hopes for young Kevin. So young Kevin, I was raised in a, a household by my mom and my grandmother. So I didn't know my dad. I didn't meet my dad until I was 27. Lower middle class, definitely had some struggles with money at times. So that has obviously shaped me in many different ways. But other than that, I played sports. I was really good at baseball. I would ride my bike outside with my friends, all that pretty normal stuff. In high school, though, that's when things started to get a little bit different because I was training to fight professionally. I wanted to fight in the UFC because that was the big, the biggest organization at the time. It still is. And I decided not to go to college. So everybody else went off to college and I stayed back and I was pumping gas and I worked at a hospital and I did many, many different things. So no, this... I feel very blessed and I feel very lucky that I fell into podcasting the way I did because I was looking for something that would add value. And I think low key, I was also looking for something that was kind of easy. 
I was wrong about the easy part for sure. I'll throw that out there. But when I was a, I was a truck driver as one of my weird jobs and I would listen to talk radio. And I remember thinking, Elliot, imagine if you could just sit in a studio and talk about something you love for four hours a day, that would be like the absolute best thing in the world. So now looking back, I think there were a lot of breadcrumbs leading me to what I do today, but it was never intentional. It was never the dream when I was younger. I don't even think podcasting existed when I was that young. So no, a lot of this is luck, coincidence, and uh, alignment is what I would say. Yeah, I think that's the beauty of so many career paths that a lot of us go down is that it didn't even exist when we were born. It didn't even exist when we were teenagers. You know, for example, the work that I do, I think that maybe it was just coming onto the scene when I was a teenager and podcasting. I think that, yeah, maybe Joe Rogan was the only one out there and he was just recording conversations with his buddies, but radio was the thing, right? And obviously it didn't shape up as radio, but it shaped up as podcasting, which is absolutely incredible as well. And I want to dive deeper into your story because of right now, it feels like Kevin's living the dream and he always has done. And it sounds like it's been a pretty smooth rise to the place that you have been, but I know that your story has come with its ups and downs. So can you share some of the in-betweens in that story, which took you from you know young Kevin to where you are today. Yeah, so every single job I've ever had, I have quit without having another job lined up. So that's part one of, yeah, I when I'm done with something, I just want to be done with it. Once I make up my mind, I tend to just be stubborn and go my own way. But the thing that really, really shaped me probably most into who I am today, when I was 25, I had, again, to your point, what everybody thinks they want. My girlfriend was a model. I had just won a bodybuilding show. I had a high paying job, health, wealth, love. I had everything you could quote unquote want. My girlfriend ended up leaving me because I was super depressed. I was super anxious. I was a shell of myself. Internally, I was a mess. Externally, I looked really, really good and really, really shiny. I convinced myself that I need to go make as much money as possible because if I make more money, more of these problems will go away. So I spent the next 10 months grinding my face off, traveling up and down the East Coast for my job. And I ended up making six figures. Realized that that wasn't fulfilling. That didn't fix any of my internal problems. Okay, what am I gonna do? I don't know what I wanna do. So now I have the podcast. I fell in love with podcasting. I fell out of love with my job, but I'm not making any money. I don't have any strategy. I don't know business. I don't know sales. I don't know numbers. Nobody's listening. So I have to keep going to this job that I hate. And for me, that involved living in hotels because we traveled so much for work. And yeah, my mental health just kept getting worse and worse and I'm dieting and I'm lifting. And eventually it got to the point where I was six hours from home. I was in a hotel. I woke up 5.30 in the morning. My alarm clock goes off. I sit up, slide to the edge of the bed. I won't say ready to accomplish the day, but trying to get through the day and the best way to explain it is uh, on that morning, it was like there was 10 televisions on in my head at the same time, and every single one was on a different station. And it's just, first of all, people like you don't get jobs like this. Never mind, leave them. I know you hate it here. I know you want to do something else. I know you're miserable, but don't do that. It's not going to end well for you. If you do work up the courage to leave, what are your friends going to say? What's your family going to say? And what are you going to do? There is no plan B. You've never really had a plan B. What are you going to do? And in that moment, I thought to myself, if I take my life, I take my problems with me. And that was the lowest, most stuck, hopeless, helpless place I've ever been. Now, luckily, I'm very blessed because I have an amazing business partner who was just a friend at the time. I reached out to him. I explained the situation. And he said, Kev, over the last couple of years, your awareness has changed a ton, but your environments have stayed the same. I think it's time for you to change your environment. So I ended up leaving that job three or four months later. And that was the beginning of being a full-time podcaster. And then full disclosure, when I became a full-time podcaster, full-time entrepreneur, I was $35,000 in debt. I couldn't afford to pay rent. My car broke. I couldn't fix it. It was stalling in the middle of the street, like some movie stuff, but not in the positive side of the movie. Damn, that's insane. And I'm very curious to get back to that moment that you had when you were reflecting on the end of your bed. How did you have the strength to then keep on pushing forward? Obviously, you had some amazing advice from the friend, but there was a two or three month period whilst you were still navigating that job, still had to navigate those 10 televisions going on in your head. I think that what I found when I talked to Alan, I found two things. I found permission to make a different decision and I found a 
a new understanding of hope. When there's a light at the end of the tunnel, it's easier to push through the rest of the tunnel. And I think at that point, I was just in the very middle of the tunnel where I couldn't see light behind me and I couldn't see light in front of me. Alan saying, dude, there's other options. You know, you can start over. You can, you want a podcast full time. Like maybe now's the time to do it. He was out of his job. He left his corporate career. So he was an entrepreneur. So I think the conversation I had with him really, really gave me hope. And I always use this as an example. If I reached out to somebody else, Elliot, imagine if I reached out to somebody who they said, Kev, nobody really likes their job. Just get through the week, have fun on the weekend and you'll be good. Or Kev, you make so much money. You can't, you can't do that. You can't make that decision. I don't know what would have happened. I would have probably felt less hope than I did. So I think going to the right person for the right reason in a certain season allowed me to get permission to make a different decision. And then it created a level of hope that allowed me to keep going. And I think that's probably the best answer I can give because when you lose hope, it's really hard to keep going. That is gasoline more than I think we realize. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think that having an amazing and valuable friend and business partner like that to give you that level of advice was exactly what you needed to hear at that moment. And I think there are so many people just looking for permission to do exactly what they want to do. And it's amazing that we don't believe that we can take that decision ourselves, but sometimes it's so hard to see the reality of our situation and the clarity of it when we're the one in it, right? So do you have people and advisors that you talk to on a regular basis now to kind of zoom out? Or have you got a better idea of looking at your life from a kind of third person perspective? I think I, I definitely have a stronger understanding of what life looks like zoomed in, zoomed midway and zoomed out. But I, I do. I, Alan is my mentor. So I'm very blessed where my business partner is my mentor and his social and self-improvement set point is just really, really, really high. So I'm very blessed there. I would say he's my, he's my main advisor on self-improvement and business. And I'd say my wife is a very big advocate for me when it comes to social understanding, making sure I'm being a very inclusive human being, understanding how words, how they represent certain things to certain people. I'm very blessed because I have the business side and then I have the human side, which Again, I am a business owner who relies on help, helping humans. So I have kind of the best of both worlds. And how do you balance the two? I think that's one of the hardest things that many of us business owners and entrepreneurs have to face now. It's like trying to succeed and be the highest performer that we possibly can, but also having that human element and remembering that we're having a human experience, which usually goes well for some humans. So if we disregard all of our friends and we just hyper-focus on our businesses and trying to be the best of the best, then it really becomes a big struggle to balance the two. So how do you navigate doing that two things one i don't believe in balance just from the aspect of i think life is a juggling act i've always really thought about that right now you and i are not improving our fitness i mean you kind of are because you're drinking water i have my water right but i'm not i'm not lifting weight i'm not doing cardio right now i'm working on the business and my self-improvement based on the fact that i'm getting better at speaking it's a juggling act based on what your ultimate goals are. So I think it's, I think this is really helpful. If you sit down and write out your core values, your core beliefs and your core aspirations, and you have to figure out, okay, what do I ultimately want and what am I willing to trade and what am I not willing to trade in order to get that? I did a podcast the other day with a startup founder and he was talking about how he works 16 hours a day every day for two years straight. And it got to the point where he had missed his child's first birthday and he was on the verge of missing his child's second birthday. And he woke up one day and said, wow, I don't know why I'm doing this. And I said, well, your core values, your core beliefs and your core aspirations were not aligned. They were in conflict, which is going to create conflict within your life. So I think just that awareness of the balance quote unquote, that you're looking for is probably a juggling act between the things that are most important to you. And if you can order them in the right order, you'll always be comfortable letting one ball drop faster than the other. That is my perspective because you can't really maximize one thing without pouring into the other things, right? Unless you want to end up out of shape, single and rich, 
or you want to end up super in shape but single and broke or whatever it may be. It's really hard to get all of them if you think it comes from balance and not harmony or, or juggling. Yeah, and I want to break that down a little bit more. I absolutely love that idea that life is more of a juggling act than achieving balance. And I think that if we all strive for balance, that's maybe where a lot of us are going wrong because we're looking to achieve something that might not even exist for us. So that's the first big point to take away. And the second is how do we get to know what is truly a priority in this moment? Because if some of us and many of us, I would say, want to achieve it all. And yet we see our responsibilities, maybe, you know, paying the bills or staying in that job, like you said, seems like a priority right now versus going on that business venture. And I need to look after the children because they're super young and I don't want to miss their early stages. So that hobby or once again, that business venture or whatever it might be, doesn't seem like it's feasible right now. But what happens if we then miss out on our moment? Because this is the perfect age that we need to be to pursue this entrepreneurial pursuit. I'm just trying to give you an idea of someone's head where everything is kind of mixed up and we don't know where to go. So how do we get clarity on knowing what's important right now in this moment versus just going down the route that what seems like a priority? Yeah, I think the best thing to do is just sit down and make a list. I don't there I don't know if there is a good answer for that because everybody's right now is different. My right now is is drastically different than my right now 6 months ago like to your point. So I can only speak to what I've learned over the last 6 months and how to figure that out, but I think it's this understanding. I think this is a very a very unique understanding. If you can reverse engineer regret, you can kind of avoid regret. So I have this practice that I try. It, again, it's very challenging, but Every morning, I have two cats, Fudge and Ace. Uh, Ace is a Bengal cat. Fudge is, Fudge is all black. Thank you. And every morning, Fudge jumps up on my desk, and he wants to just love on me. As an entrepreneur who works from home, he's right in front of my laptop, and I got stuff to do. And I would get frustrated. I would get frustrated. Oh, I'm a peak performer. You're taking me out of flow, all these things. And then one morning, I sat back, and I said, Kev, one day, Fudge will not be here. He will die and you will be very, very, very sad. What will you wish you did more of when he's not here? And it's let him be on the desk for five minutes. It's not that big of a deal. All things considered, it's not that big of a deal. Take a minute when I go out to fill my water and lay on the floor with the cats for a minute. It's not that big of a deal because eventually I know I'll wish I did. That is the best answer I can give. Because for you, if you're watching or listening, maybe it's not cats, maybe it's family, maybe it's the gym, maybe it's making more money, maybe it's leaving a legacy for your family. You have to tap into the stuff that really, really, really ignites you. Give yourself permission, that's a word we're using a lot here, to actually care about what you want to care about. I know people who care more about impact than spending time with their family. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Because... That's what's going to allow them to live their life more fully and be a better family member anyway. So have the courage to really admit what you desire and what you value as a human, regardless of the judgment it may bring. Yeah, I like that a lot. It's just getting super, super clear on what is truly important to you and then being unapologetic about it. Because I think if you hear someone say, hey, my family is not a priority of my business, you're like, ah, oh, what an evil person you are, how work-driven you are. But then reality is, is if they go and try to spend more time with their family, they might end up resenting them. They're actually a better you know, brother, sister, husband, whatever, by spending more time on the things that they truly love. And I think that, as you've just said, it's like giving yourself permission to genuinely accept that those are the things that are important to you and then aligning your actions and your time with what is truly the case essentially yeah i'm not a huge family guy right like but i also was raised in an environment where family wasn't super important so for me it's it's not as much of a core value as it is for me as it is for my wife so that's something i'm adjusting to because family is very important to my wife that's something that now is a new core value for me because it must be to be with my wife. Alan has this beautiful quote, he says, what if what's best for you is what's best for everyone else? If you're trying to have positive impact on the world, if you're trying to do something, if you're trying to help people, if you're trying to, to bring momentum, what's best for you probably is what's best for other people because you're going to be able to pour into your cup and thus pour into so many other cups. So I think that's a good thing to contemplate. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think it's just about having the courage to say, 
this isn't my value or priority. And if you have another member at home, like a family member who heavily influences the way that you live your lifestyle or a spouse, for example, then you might want to align your values with each other. Otherwise, I think there's going to be a lot of conflict, but ultimately understand that their values won't be your values and your values won't be theirs. And then just trying to find somewhere in the middle. So I like that a lot. And Kevin, something you talk about a lot is getting to the next level. And I want to dive into that now. What does getting to the next level truly look like to you? Uh, To me, it's getting better in health wealth and love. I don't want to be really good at something at the detriment of something else, right? So honestly, it's it's personal. It could be reading one more book. If you read one more book, you are going to have a plethora of knowledge that you probably didn't have before. It's um, becoming more familiar with my body, right? I've been going to physical therapy. I understand myself at a deeper level. Now I know what certain things do. Uh, being more familiar with my limiting beliefs, being more familiar with my identity. Getting to the next level just means you are making progress from where you are to where you want to go when it comes to your health, when it comes to your wealth, and when it comes to your love. Because at the end of the day, I think that is the pyramid, that is the triangle of of life. That's what we're all after. We want We want deeply fulfilling lives. And for most of us, fulfillment is going to come from growing towards something beyond us, and contributing to something greater than us. And the way to grow and contribute is to get to the next level of your life because when you're capable of more, you're capable of giving more. Absolutely. And I'm very, very curious to get an idea of how you establish what that looks like on a long-term basis. You mentioned the word reverse engineering. Is that what you're essentially doing? You're looking, okay, where does Kevin want to be in 10 years time with your health, your wealth, and your love? And essentially working back from there, is that how you start mapping out your day-to-day actions? Yeah, yeah. So our ultimate goal long-term is to have the most successful self-improvement company in the industry. That's really what we're playing for. So we don't do seven episodes a week because I want to do seven episodes a week. There's seven, there's seven days in the week. We're going to do an episode every day. If Elliot comes out with an eighth day of the week, I'm going to have to come up with another episode. That just is the way it is. So yeah, for us, it's like, okay, what are the, the successful self-improvement companies doing? Okay. That's baseline. All right. How do we break that down into like a 20 year goal? Okay. That's what that looks like. All right. Let's take those 20 year goals and now let's map them out year over year over year over year. Then you can break that up into quarters. Then you can break that up into months. And then ultimately it ends up landing on my desk as the 28 habits I do every day. And I just go through and, okay, did I do that? Cool. Check it off. At the end of the day, I think the how-to is the hardest thing for most of us. I mean, I'm sure if you were to figure out what the most common search on Google is, it has to be how-to. How-to blank, how-to blank, how-to blank. I think that's one of the biggest issues. But I think for many people, it's because they make their goals too big. I'm very blessed because Alan has helped me reverse engineer these things. If it wasn't for him, I would not be able to take a 20-year goal and break it down to a day. My brain does not work that way. That's not the way my, my brain is wired. So reverse engineering is extremely important, but you can only reverse engineer to the level that you can predict the future, which depending on where you are, it might be a month, might be a year, might be five years. Just make sure you're landing where you should with that. Yeah, and talk to me a little bit more about that. Talk to me about the process of saying, okay, I want the most popular and most successful personal development company. How do you start to break that down? I'm not lucky for all of your secrets here, maybe just one or two, but I'm getting it. <laughs> no a, secrets. I, I'd love to get an idea of how it practically looks to have a goal so far away and to bring it down to such a minutiae level of today. Yeah, I mean, number one is it's looking at the people who have done it. So if you look at, you know, the Tony Robbins, the Jim Rohns, the Brennan Burchards, the, you know, the people like that, you look and see what they did. Okay, in their early 20s, they were studying self-improvement and they were putting on some sort of live event. Interesting. Okay, there's the podcast. Now, the beautiful thing is back then the internet wasn't there, so they couldn't do what we're doing. So that's part of it. So part of it is the delivery of content and delivery of value. How do we deliver more content more consistently than anybody else? All right, we'll do it every day. The other part of it is at the end of the day, you're only going to grow to the level of self-improvement that you have. So We're making a lot of our decisions based on how do we get better as human beings, not today, but 20 years down the line. I bought a new bed last year for my wife and I, pretty expensive bed, but it wasn't because I wanted it. It was because when I sleep better, I can perform better, thus being a better version of myself. That's going to grow the business long term. So it's, it's kind of twofold. One, 
we are trying to elevate ourselves as fast as humanly possible because we are the bottlenecks. Two, we're treating this way more like a business and what that business is going to look like in 50 years, not what it's going to look like today. So we look like we're losing a lot of the time. We're a personal brand, so that's why we look like we're losing. It's, it's hard. It's just at the end of the day, you can only really replicate what you've seen other people do, put your own unique spin on it, use technology to compound what you're doing, and then make sure you're getting better. Because if you're not getting better, you're not going to be able to deliver the message better. Yeah. What are some of those primary principles that you have when it comes to self-development? What are the things that you do on a day-to-day basis that are absolutely vital for you becoming your best self? Uh, 1% over time is a big thought for us. You can carry that over into fitness. You can carry that over into money, into relationships, anything. So every day I try to get a little bit better in everything I do. But I weigh myself every day. I track my calories every day. I try to exercise for 30 minutes every day. That's kind of under health. I learn for 30 minutes. under. So that's for wealth, right? The more I learn, the more I can bring to the business. Um, I track our finances every single day. And then my wife and I have a couple different things we do. So we have an app that we use that asks you a deep question. You each respond to it. And then you can have a deep conversation off of that. And then we also play the gratitude game every single night before we go to bed. So this is one thing I'm grateful for about you. This is one thing she's grateful for about me. And it just helps us connect, make sure we're remaining grateful for what we have and staying on the same page. Other than that, I mean, I batch my WhatsApp every day. I post on social media every day. There's a lot of things that people will never see that are just making sure I'm keeping up with the self-improvement. So yeah, but the biggest one's like learning. I don't know if I, I haven't missed a day of learning in five or six years. That's the only reason I'm capable of doing most of the stuff I do. It's just because I've used the compound effect of, okay, 30 minutes today, 30 minutes tomorrow. I mean, that adds up over five or six years. Yeah, for sure. I have no doubt of that. And I'm curious about the next aspect of your life when it comes to the future as well. How do you keep checking in with yourself? Because obviously values change on a regular basis. Priorities change on a regular basis as well. Do you have any moments where you stop and reflect and ask yourself, okay, is this heading in the right direction now? Maybe I don't know if you and your wife are going to have kids one day and then obviously things have to go in a different direction as well. When do you stop and reflect and make sure that you're still on that right track and exactly the track that you wanted to be on? Anytime I start to feel less fulfilled, fulfillment is usually the measure for me because I used to think my life was about happiness, right? Like pleasure-based, results-based. If this happens, then I will be happy. I don't think that's really what I'm after. If you're watching or listening, you get to choose. But for me, I like getting to the end of the day and saying, wow, I had a really fulfilling day. My, my calendar does not make me happy. It's a lot. There's a lot going on. But I feel like I'm adding value. I feel like I'm making the world a better place. I feel like I'm growing and contributing. So I feel fulfilled by that. So anytime I start to get those pings of, I don't feel fulfilled. I don't feel like I'm making a difference. I don't feel like what I'm doing is sustainable. Then Alan and I usually have a conversation and then we adjust accordingly. We had one not long ago, a couple of weeks ago, where I said, hey, I feel, I feel kind of trapped. And he's like, what do you mean? And I said, I just feel like I... The pressure is coming from all angles. Like, I just want to take a Saturday and write a rap. Or I, I just need a little bit more freedom because I'm not as fulfilled as I was because I don't feel like I'm able to flex my creative muscle. Then we made changes and cool, now we're now we're back to the races. Absolutely. And is there any such thing as focusing on too many things? Is there an ability to bring too much on your plate too soon and then end up feeling exactly how you felt? Very trapped, very overwhelmed. I'm feeling like you're not really making progress in... <laughs> anything. Yeah, definitely. If you only have 10 units of time and you have 10 things to do, you can really only put a unit of time into each. So a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And again, here's the interesting thing. When I was just starting this, I had five things I would do every day. And now looking back, it's elementary, but in the beginning it wasn't right. Post on social media, track your finances, track the listens and like two other things. And then I would be done. It's like, okay, I'm done for the day. And I, then I remember, and you'll probably resonate with this, I would have one coaching call and I'd be like, whew, whew, what a hell of a day it was today. I tracked five habits and I had one coaching call. Now I have like seven coaching calls a day and it's just, it's kind of normal. So yeah, in the beginning, I think you have to stay hyper-focused on the least amount of things possible because eventually you'll be able to focus on more things and it'll just be a little bit easier. The pressure... 
I don't know if the pressure ever truly goes away. You just get more comfortable handling it. And then you can take on more stuff and then you adapt to the pressure. You can take on more stuff. So yeah, I think a lot of us, again, myself at times, I probably try to focus on too many things at once. It's a big challenge I also have as well. So I kind of asked that question selfishly too to get at your context. <laughs> but it's good to know that we're all kind of facing that same challenge. And as you mentioned, it's coming back to obviously getting hyper-focused on the, maybe the most important thing to you in that moment. And then also getting extremely competent because of once you build your threshold of what you're able to handle, you know, all of a sudden, then like you said, that one coaching call feels like a breeze compared to, well, seven coaching calls now feel like a breeze when one felt like quite a lot as well and i'm curious as well because i've noticed now based on this conversation is that a lot of your life seems to be down to systems that's what i'm hearing a lot of it seems like you've got the system in place to make sure that the fulfillment is there the systems in place to ensure that you're not doing too much the systems in place to ensure that you're on the right track for the next 10 to 20 years do you kind of have an idea of what those systems specifically look like were they planned very intentionally or is that what you've just found works for you as an individual alan planned most of the systems we have i'm a really good operator if you tell me to do something i will do it every single day it's sometimes to a detriment because I won't necessarily adapt the system. It's just like, oh, you want me to do this? Cool. I'll put it on my system. I'll do it. Yeah, no, a lot of it is just based on the fact that 1% improvements over time, that's one. The second thing is like we have a lot of visible systems where everybody on our team can see my habits. So every single person on our team can see whether I'm crushing it or whether I'm not because the psychology behind the public accountability is huge. We try to make sure our systems are as easy for humans to use as they are beneficial for humans to use. And that's a very, very unique balance because most of our audience and most of our team are emotionally driven humans. Emotionally driven humans usually don't like systems, understandably. So yeah, trying to balance it and harmonize it to the point where anybody can use the system. That's really the main focus. You don't have to be an engineer. You don't have to be somebody who's hyper-logical. We want the system to be able to be run by anybody. So yeah, it's very intentional. It's very intentional. If you can't do it for the long run, it's not super valuable, right? Anything. The best diet is the one that works for the long run. The one that you can actually do, not the one that I can do. If it works for me, that's great. If it doesn't work for you, it's useless. A hundred percent. I said the exact same thing. It's like, it doesn't matter how hyper-optimized and super optimal it is. If you can't follow it, it really doesn't mean anything, right? And right. your kind of suboptimal diet, as long as you can stick for it for the next 10 days, 10 weeks, 10 months, and 10 years is going to be far superior over time in terms of yielding those results and actually keeping your relationship with that thing in the best possible place as well, which is another thing when it comes back to looking at the today versus looking at the long term. You don't want to be in shape for just a few days. You don't want to have a business for just a few days. So you've got to think about, okay, how am I going to do this in 10 years time? And it might be a case of going through something unsustainable for a period as well. And that was actually leading me on to my next question is, do you think there has to be bursts of unsustainability, for example, to get ahead with the thing that you want to go after. I find that it tends to be the case in health and fitness is that if you push forward a fair bit in the early stages, then you're going to be able to enjoy the fruits of your labor a little bit long term because sustaining is technically on paper easier than dropping body fat because of, you know, you're not having to consume such little calories and having to do so much activity. So do you find that same kind of mantra useful for business and life as well as long as you're willing to sacrifice whatever you're going to be sacrificing yeah we did a uh, a 10 a 10 week and a 10 pound and 10 week challenge where we said publicly alan and i are going to lose 10 pounds in the next 10 weeks we're both bodybuilders like we understand how this works but that was the first time where i was like hyper focused on fitness and i was doing a lot of cardio and kickboxing and i sacrificed a lot to lose that weight in that time it was not, what I was doing was not sustainable. Spending two hours at the gym every day is not sustainable at this, at this level of the business. 45 minute workouts are ideal. So it's beneficial because you're going to learn certain things. You just have to make sure that you're okay with potentially sacrificing the things that you're going to, you're going to be sacrificing. I really think that that understanding is super powerful because at least then it's a choice. It's a choice for me. Me being here right now means I can't spend time with my wife. Right. That is a sacrifice. I'm sacrificing time with my wife, but I'm okay with that because she's at work and I'm doing what I love. And that's a, that's a win, win, win. So I believe going against sustainability is okay. As long as you understand what you're sacrificing and as long as you know what you're going to do after.
What happens when this season ends? Then what do we do? Yeah. And do you ever think that there's a trap of staying stuck in that same season for kind of the remainder of your days and the years to come? Because I think that that might be the thing with ambition. And that's what I ask a lot of people is that, you know, once you arrive at the place that you wanted to arrive, there's always going to be a next mountaintop to reach for. So do you find that reassessing and being able to recognize what season you're in has become quite easy for you and there's any techniques or tips that you have in terms of ensuring that people can take that step away you mentioned you're a bodybuilder but you know most let's say competitive bodybuilders will be spending two hours in the gym every single day and you know their life will revolve around their workouts but that's clearly not the case for you anymore yeah no after i did a show and i was prepping for another show and elliot i was like i like food too much to be suffering at the level that i must suffer i suffered to win the show and I don't want to do that again. So I like to reflect. One of the practices I have is when I'm really low emotionally or when I'm really high emotionally, I look back on the past. It does something for me. It's very hard to recognize contrast if you're not looking for it. So the advice I always give is it's very easy to get stuck in the mundane day to day when you don't look at the last year, the last month, you don't have any contrast. Time goes by so fast when you're doing a lot of things. If you don't have opportunities to reflect, it's very easy to get stuck in that same, in that same cycle. And when it feels like you're winning or when it feels like you're losing, you get lost in the very short season of that. It's almost hard to remember what it was like to win if you're losing and what it was like to lose when you're winning. I think reflection is key for that. I do. Because if you're not reflecting proactively, you're going to be reactive in all of your activities. At least if you reflect, you can plan moving forward. That's what I would say. Reflection has been a very big, important thing for me. And when did you start developing that? Because I find that that's probably one of the biggest keys to my life as well. And I think when I look at many of the clients that I work with, I think reflection is probably the key thing that they're missing. And that's why I love about the work that I do is I get my clients to check in every week and review their past week. So they get an opportunity to look back on things and to understand what went well, what didn't go so well, and essentially improve ahead of the next week. So when did you start reflecting more heavily and what influences that had on your life since then? The podcast. I'm I'm blessed where I can go back and see what I was doing at this time last year. And I can listen to what I'm talking about. I can listen to the stories I'm telling. I can look at the social media posts. For me, I have a video catalog of my life where I can go back and, and look and and I can remember what it was like to be there. So I always tell this to clients. I tell this to our listeners. If you're watching this or listening, take out your phone and either record a video or a voice note of where you are right now. Mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, where are things going? How do you feel about yourself, your body, your bank account, your relationship? And then check in next month and see. see have, have things changed in the right direction? Have things changed in the wrong direction? You're going to recognize contrast. It's either going to be damn I'm in the same place or trending down or damn, I'm trending up and I've made a lot of changes, but we need some sort of starting point. We need some X on the map in order to figure out whether we've made progress or not. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I'm curious about what a lot of people experience, which is being on that stage of the ladder where they look down and they're like, hey, that's a hell of a long way down. I've traveled quite a long way. And they look up and they're like, well, that's still a hell of a long way to go. And they're kind of in the center point, right? They're like, okay, it's kind of too low to go back down. And it's really intimidating to go up. So when people find themselves in that position, where do you feel the best place to go is to find the strength, to find what they need to do to ensure they keep moving upwards and don't take the route of going back down or even just staying stuck there, right? Just hanging in the middle of nowhere. I'm curious to get your take on that. Yeah, make make whatever goal that is scaring you smaller. I know that is anti what everybody has said. And I, I know a lot of the motivational speeches are if your goals don't scare you, they're not big enough. I don't agree. I think it's a broken system. Because I think one of the biggest things that people lack is belief in themselves. And if you lack belief in yourself, you lack belief in your goals. So I would say when you accomplish something, give yourself as many pats on the back as you need. When you're looking back, understand that you never go all the way back. There's usually one step first, right? It doesn't work that way. You're not going to go all the way back. There's many steps in between where you are and where you were. There's also many steps between where you are and where you want to go. So break that into something smaller. I think that that is the best advice I can give because if when I started this podcast, when I got to a hundred episodes, I patted myself on the back, I'm sure, but I didn't say, okay, 10,000 more to go. I said, 
Let's see what the next hundred looks like. That's awesome. I didn't expect to get here. That is what I would say. Chunk down the things that scare you into more bite size availabilities and you'll be more motivated to actually get them. There's a, there's a book called the art of impossible by Stephen Kotler. We interviewed him a, a while ago and he, he talks about in that book that when you're goal setting, your brain knows whether you're BSing or not. Your brain knows if you say I'm going to be a billionaire and you're like going to a job you hate where you make $5 an hour, your brain is like, dude, this is BS. This isn't real. This isn't motivating. It's actually the opposite. So yeah, I just want to throw that out there too. But do you ever think that there's a risk of playing too small by looking at those goals and thinking, well, you know, that is truly where I want to be. I might not be in a position right now where I can get there and maybe I can break it down, but maybe then there's the chance of me giving into the lower goals and just being essentially happy, knowing my long-term goal is to be the millionaire, but ultimately knowing that I'm only striving to earn $10,000 a month, for example. I think it depends on your level of belief. If, if you have a 10 out of 10 level of self-belief, you have to set 10 out of 10 size goals. But if you have a level six out of 10 belief, I think you have to set level six out of 10 goals, maybe six and a half because it forces you to grow a little bit. So think of it this way. Okay. I think the two biggest issues when it comes to lack of quote unquote success, whatever that means is misaligned self-belief and misaligned self-worth. I'm not saying low. I'm saying misaligned because if you don't have self-belief, you will not take action. If you have too much self-belief, you might not think you need to take action because you're already good enough. It doesn't matter. If you have not enough self-worth, you don't think you're worthy of success. If you have a very, very high level of self-worth, you think you deserve success. Neither of those, none of those four places are power positions. So for me, I'm always thinking action is the cure-all. I want you to set a goal or we'll create an opportunity for you to take action. When you get action, you get feedback. When you get feedback, it's a new opportunity. So I think it depends on your level of self-belief and self-worth just based on the people I've worked with. Usually people don't set goals because they don't believe in them. They don't believe they're deserving of the accomplishment. They don't think they should have to set goals because they can accomplish anything or they think they already deserve the result. Those are all stuck places. And without a ton of therapy work, how do we get to the bottom of understanding <laughs> where our self-worth is and where our self-belief is and whether yeah, our goals are actually, yeah, whether our goals are actually aligned for where we're at or if we're just lying to ourselves. It's a great question. And it's, it's very clear that you're very aware based on the fact that you said without a lot of therapy, because the, the reason we are where we are today, a lot of it is because of our past conditioning. Whether we know it, it's not what you did yesterday or last month. It's what happened to you when you were a child, most likely. And that is a heavy, heavy thing. I would say the best I can do is one, hire a coach or go to therapy. I know that's the, that's the cheating answer. Listen to stuff that makes you self-reflect. Listen to stuff that makes you say, hmm, interesting. What does that mean about me? What do I feel about that? And this is a question I like to ask clients. On a scale of one to 10, how much do you believe that you can build the castle? You can build a beautiful castle on the ocean with all this land and all this amazing stuff. On a scale of one to 10, they'll give me a number. On a scale of one to 10, how much do you feel you are deserving slash worthy of living there after you built it? That's self-worth. I had somebody recently who, he's like, Kev, I just don't believe in myself enough. And I was like, eh, I don't think that's it. And I asked him that question. And he said, oh, 10 out of 10, I can build it. I said, all right, how, how worthy are you of moving in? How much, do you, how much do you belong there? Do you deserve it? He's like, oh, two out of 10. I said, that's a self-worth issue, brother, not a self-belief issue. That's a good place to start. And then you can figure out, okay, if it's self-worth, you know, we got to do boundaries and we got to figure out who treated you with less value than you deserved in the past. How did that affect you? You know, that's, that's a simple way to start. Yeah, I love that. I think it can be very, very helpful. And it is just a case of determining which one it actually is. And then obviously, then you can start doing some things to move in that direction. And with that being said, I now want to transition onto the almost 1400 podcasts that you're on. And um, I'm approaching episode 400 soon. So I'm thinking, wow, there's a thousand more in there. I know what it took to build for hundred and I'm thinking, wow, it's incredible to think what it would be like to build 1400. What are some of the big lessons you've learned across the course of the podcast and creating a ton of episodes and also doing the daily as well? Uh, one today matters more than anything, but it also doesn't matter at all. You know, this, this episode, 
It could go off the rails. This might be the worst episode you've ever done. If you continue going for another thousand, doesn't matter that much. It's that weird thing of everybody has bad workouts, but if you continue going to the gym, the bad workout doesn't matter that much, right? The fact that you're there and you show up for yourself is far more important than the result. That's one. From day to day, progress is invisible. From year to year, progress is impossible to miss. I did four or five episodes yesterday. I am no measurably better today. But if you go listen to the first episode, it is garbage. It's not good. We've come a long way. Those are two. And it's about, it's all about the reps. If you are, it's all about the intentional reps. If you prepare for something, you show up and do the rep, you reflect on the rep, and then you perfect in the background, you can get really, really, really good at something, even if you don't have a quote unquote natural tendency to get good at it. Yeah, it's powerful. It really, really is. And I love that piece on what you said. Like you're not any better today, but obviously that's going to show over time. And not only that, it's one of those things that the podcast yeah, can get easily lost in the archive and it might be on people's minds for the first week, first couple of weeks. And like I said, if it pops off, it could be around for years. But if it doesn't, it's just going to be buried deep in <laughs> other thousands of episodes that you've done as well. And I'm curious to hear more about the consistency as well. What has it been like to maintain that daily podcast if you had to get some real solid systems in place as well? I actually went for a period last year where I did, I think it was about 190 back-to-back -back daily as well. It was a kind of a task I set for myself to see if I a, could do it and also how could I bring more value in a shorter amount of time and I went after it and it taught me a hell of a lot so I'm curious to hear some of the lessons that you've gained with the level of consistency you've had over what must be many years now yeah it's it really shows you what you need to prioritize every Monday so for us we batch our episodes so again system right Every Monday from 10 a.m. until 6 p.m., my calendar is blocked off. You cannot get a hold of me. You cannot pay me for calls. I do not do anything else because at the end of the day, the podcast is the only reason any of this other stuff is happening. So we treat it as priority one because it is priority one. Other than that, the interesting thing is Alan and I both have accountability. I won't miss because Alan won't miss. Alan won't miss because I won't miss. You know, if you're at the gym waiting for me, I am more likely to show up to the gym because I know you're already there and I don't want to let you down. That's a part of it. And here's the interesting thing that's really served us. We brand ourselves as the most consistent podcast. Like we are seven. It says it in the intro, seven days a week. It says in the outro, we'll see you next. We'll see you tomorrow. We've kind of backed ourselves into a corner where there would, it would really feel like a lot of failure if we were to say like, you know what, we're going to start doing five days a week. It would just seem like too much of a, a step down. Yeah. For us to do that. And I, I would say the last thing is going back to sustainability. We started at one and then we went to two and then we went to three and then we went to five and then we went to six and then we went to seven. So every time it got easy, we made it a little bit harder. Now seven, if we were only doing seven episodes a week and I wasn't coaching and doing all this other stuff, seven would not be a challenge. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be that hard. So now we add challenge and difficulty with other stuff. So I would say every time it got to the point where it wasn't, it wasn't enough of a challenge. We said, all right, cool. Let's, let's up the ante a little bit. The weight's too easy, right? The weight's too easy. I'm not overloading anymore. Let me add a five pound plate or a 10 pound or whatever it is. We've treated it very similar to that, which is, I mean, it makes sense as we're both bodybuilders and in the, in the fitness industry, quote unquote. Absolutely. And it seems like maybe one day it might be two episodes a day, seven times <laughs> a week. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> Yeah, that would be quite something. A seven is uh, <laughs> probably more than enough that people can conceive at this moment in time. And how long are you planning to go for? Until I can't talk anymore. That's that's the goal. I mean, Alan and I always say, you know, we have at least another 50 years. So I'm 33, he's 34. So yeah, the, the goal is until we can't anymore, until something changes, until I'm an AI or I'm a hologram or whatever it is. The, the goal is to do it for as long as is humanly possible. Yeah, I love that. Love that mission that you're on as you're really flying the flag of consistency. And I know the industry now after having mine for the past couple of years and doing the 400 episodes. So I know it's no joke to have a consistent podcast, let alone one that's daily and so consistent and then also full of value as well, because that's one of the biggest things as well. And dude, I've got a couple of final questions for you. And the first is that what impact do you want to have on the world with the work that you do? At the end of the day, I just want people to become more self-aware. I think awareness of self is one of the, the most important things in the world. 
And I want people to feel cared about. I know a lot of people feel lonely. They feel like they're on an island. I want them to feel like they're part of something where they belong. Really, that's really what I'm aiming for at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely love that. And when it comes down to getting people to feel like they truly, truly belong, what are you doing at the moment to invite people into that space? I do a lot of research on our audience. So I think one of the things that has benefited us a ton is back you know, when I had a lot more time and I was, there was a lot less obligations on my time. I was doing like one-on-one calls, FaceTimes with our audience. Not, this wasn't a sales call. It wasn't a coaching call. It was like, Hey, you listen to the podcast. Let's chat. I want to learn more about you. So by understanding the audience, by understanding their unique problems, by understanding their traumas, their triggers, their past, we can add more value that way because we know it's more contextually aligned for where they are. So every episode we do is placed are based on a place of intention. I'm reverse engineering. What is the best use of our 20 minutes here? What story is going to land? How do I help the listeners feel like they can do this? Not I'm so good because we do all this. That's not it. How can we help them start the, the journey? So yeah, I think it's just going back to the roots of who's listening to this podcast. Why are they listening and what do they need? and just being obsessed with that every single day. Plenty of what I've taken away from today's conversation is consistently challenging yourself to be, as you said, that 1% better, giving yourself permission to do it, getting your systems in place, and then just being ruthlessly consistent. Would that be a fair sum up of today's conversation? (laughs) Yeah, I don't, there's a lot of stuff that I say that just isn't sexy because it's like, if you don't do it consistently, it doesn't matter. You know, we just had two podcast launches the other day and I said, I don't really care about the launch that much. I care about what you do in the next year. The launch doesn't matter if you stop tomorrow. I don't care, right? I think too many people put, oh, we have a grand opening. We have a launch. If you're not around in two years, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So yeah, for me, the person who stays at it the longest usually becomes the most successful. It's just the way it works. It's just the the law of time, the law of the universe. So I would say you are spot on with that, my friend. I love that. And where's the best place for people to find you if they want to keep up with the work that you do and listen to the podcast? Just search Next Level University. We're on all the podcast platforms. We're on YouTube as well. And yeah, that's the best place. You'll figure out either A, we are the type of people you want to listen to, or B, it's too much content too often. Either one, I still love you. Kevin, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure, Elliot. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.